This episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies is brought to you by Oxner Insurance. Never really seems like a bad time to go hit the river or lake, but it's never the right time to experience an incident or loss with our automobile, home, or even life. Take a minute to stop and make sure that you, your assets, and your family are protected with the policy provided by Oxner Insurance. Give Jeremy a call today at 775-657-6050 and learn about the shields of protection that he can put around your assets. farther one gets into the wilderness, the greater is the attraction of its lonely freedom. That is a quote from the Rough Rider and Bull Moose himself, President Theodore Roosevelt. Today we're excited to be joined by Travis Hawks, who is a fisheries biologist with the Nevada Department of Wildlife and also an outdoor superstar. We will learn about what it takes to be a fisheries biologist in the state of Nevada, as well as all the exciting work Travis does on the daily to ensure that we not only have a pleasurable experience out on the water, but also that future generations will as well. Travis will tell us a bit about the many offerings to be found in Northern Nevada, and he also reveal his three favorite burrito joints in all of the land. So stay tuned for a trip into Nevada's backcountry with Travis Hawks. And welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. And today we have a very special guest, Travis Hawks. And some of you may know him as the fisheries biologist for the state of Nevada. Or you may know him as an outdoor superstar. But we're glad he's here with us today. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Travis. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Um, and and. Just clarification, I'm a fisheries biologist for the state of Nevada, not the fisheries biologist for the state of Nevada. In our book, you are the fisheries biologist, (laughs) but thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We also know you as Mountain Hawk. I like watching your Instagram handle. And, you know, we see these amazing photos. Miko and I have been to your office at uh, Endow, and we just want to know. Who is the real Travis Hawk? <laughs> um, I mean, some some mornings I'm not entirely clear on that, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess first and foremost, I'm just kind of an outdoorsman. Like I, I have this w- weird. I need to be outside as much as possible, or I get, or I'm in a bad, bad mood. So um, I think that's like. If, if there's one word to describe me and who I am, it's just outdoorsman. You know, I got to be outside and whether it's hunting, fishing, hiking, just, you know, whatever, there's different seasons for everything. But, um, I mean, really backstory, I, I grew up, I was lucky enough to grow up, um, in the Nevada portion of the Eastern Sierra. So, um, Gardnerville, Minden areas spent my entire youth in Gardnerville, uh, high school in Gardnerville, and was fortunate enough to have some family that had um, a small ranch in town and um, hunted that a little bit, hunted that a lot growing up, and then 
had family with property on the, the West Walker river out in Smith Valley. So, you know, my pretty much my best memories growing up were every weekend in the summertime with my folks and my sister going out there fishing. And it was all typically, you know, um, deer fishing or bait fishing and we're catching rainbows, browns. I mean, some, some really healthy fish in there. And, um, it was just, I mean, I looked forward to that year round, you know, all growing up and then going through high school, I started started honing in on kind of what I wanted to do when I, when I grew up and I, I mean, I still don't think I've grown up, but, um, I decided to go to UNR and, um, or was, I guess, lucky enough to go to UNR through the Millennium Scholarship Program and, um, met some cool people there who, um, had, had family that worked for the Nevada Department of Wildlife and, you know, became friends with those people, talked with them about it and realized that was, you know, kind of the direction I wanted to head. I knew I wanted to do something in the outdoors. I just wasn't entirely clear on what. And just through those conversations with those guys and seeing, you know, how much their parents enjoyed what they had done. And so got kind of got my foot in the door that way, um, applied to the Nevada Department of Wildlife seasonal program um, while I was in college and got a job. And so all through college, I'd, I'd do school during the year. I'd work at Sportsman's Warehouse in Reno during the year. And then um, during the summertime, I'd go and do um, what's called stream surveys for the Nevada Department of Wildlife. So I was on a crew with four other guys. And uh, specifically, we were looking at mostly Lahontan cutthroat trout streams, um, the native ones. So, you know, not places where fish have been stocked. These are the really tiny streams north of Winnemucca, north of Elko, where cut their trout have existed forever and, and have never gone extinct. And so, you know, the, that job was camping four or five days a week, hiking five, 10 miles a day, surveying those streams, counting fish, doing habitat stuff. And it, I mean, really that was the best job I've ever had. I mean, to this day, it's, I got to do all the fun stuff like hiking, camping, fishing, and none of the not so fun stuff like writing reports and budgeting and all that type of stuff. So, um, did that for five years and then, you know, just progressed in my career. When I graduated, I, I got offered a job at a fish hatchery in Nevada, spent about a year there, you know, learning the ins and outs of fish culture, raising fish. And then, um, got lucky enough that a position opened up in Winnemucca to be the lead of those stream survey crews I talked about. And, got hired out there, spent five years out there doing, doing that position permanent and learned a whole lot about fish in the desert and what kind of that part of Nevada really has to offer. And, and really I learned a lot about government process as well out there. And then, uh, after that, I, you know, the Reno position that I'm currently in opened up and applied for it. And lucky again, lucky. I've, I've been really lucky in my career and in life. I, can't say that enough, but ended up with that position and it's where I am now. And, you know, outside of work, you know, work's a huge, a huge part of my life. And I mean, it, it does in a sense define me, but like I just every weekend or when I'm not working, it's like I said earlier, it's one season to the next. If I'm not duck hunting in January, I'm going fish steelhead fishing in February, March, or looking for antlers after May. Um, summertime is kind of really my relaxing time there's not a lot of good it gets too hot to do a lot of outdoor hiking and stuff still some fishing going on but you know and then fall rolls around and it's back to hunting again and yeah just i don't know it's i just love the outdoors everything about it that's awesome so i mean you basically you explained 
kind of like how he got towards your position. It took a lot of hard work, and you spent a lot of time in some uh, great outdoor environments, covering a lot of ground and, and obviously a lot of water. But what what does it what does it mean to some you know to you to be a fisheries biologist? You know, like what's a day in the life, or you know, maybe you can give just a little snapshot of, you know, that you're more than just playing with fish eggs in a tank or, you know, taking a fish's temperature or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like like like, like what, what you know what is it exactly? I mean, what is what does that entail? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's I mean it's it's so varied, um, you know, from week to week or month to month, depending on what is happening. But I mean, I kind of look at it, you know, my, my position, I kind of look at it as much, you know, it's, it's, it's called fisheries management um, and not, and not fish management. So it's a combination of managing people, managing the fisheries, managing the species that are in those fisheries. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's just balancing, right? So I, I, I see myself as a go-between for the fish and the people, right? So like, okay, just for, I mean, for instance, let's I say Reno, um, you know, you got the Truckee River and it's a super sure. popular, super popular resource. It's utilized by not just anglers, but I mean, people kayaking, people walking, anything you can imagine, the Truckee River gets utilized. And so I, I'm kind of, or our agency's kind of like the voice for, for the fishery itself, for the fish species. So if there's a, a construction project that's going to happen in Verdi, you know, we have to, I, I'll review that and we make comments and suggestions and, you know, we, we kind of step in to say, Hey, this might have negative impacts to the fishery or the fish. So let's, let's work, you know, I, we will we'll work with the contractor, whoever's proposing it to do things that'll benefit the fishery and, you know, you know, keep their project moving forward, but with, not with any harm to what's, you know, what we have. And then, uh, and then it's, I mean, so there's that stuff. That's a little bit more of the, you know, I don't enjoy that as much as say like a, a day where I'm going to Tahoe to install a fish trap in a Creek and then spend a month and a half checking that trap every day to capture big lake run rainbow trout that are coming up to spawn. And I'm working on a long-term study up there. So we tag, I'll tag those fish, you know, I'm getting to handle some of the cleanest, biggest wild rainbow trout you'll see in this area. And then, turn them loose and they're fixed with a tag and then every year I get to go back and see if those fish have returned and so I mean that's the stuff I really love or you know things like going up we've got reservoirs all over northern Nevada that are kind of out in the middle of nowhere a lot of people aren't familiar with them I go out there capture you know their their productive reservoirs we've got one specifically that's kicking out a lot of smallmouth bass so We'll go up there and I'll spend a couple of days up there capturing those smallmouth bass, trying to get a thousand, two thousand of them. And then we'll bring them back to other reservoirs, other fisheries where there's, you know, they're not doing as well for one reason or another. So, you know, we've got Sparks Marina as an example. We take, I take about a thousand fish from that reservoir to Sparks Marina every year. Um, and it as a benefit to the public, right? So we want, sure. we want, we want anglers out there catching fish and, and buying fishing licenses because those license dollars are going to do the stuff, you know, the, the real important wildlife work across the state that a lot of people don't see. So, um, I don't know. It, that's a really long drawn out explanation for, uh, we, I guess I just, I take care of the fisheries and make sure they're healthy. And if they're not healthy, I figure out why and try to fix them. Yeah, that's great. You know, we've seen in our history, not too far back where if somebody's not in that position, you get a complete 
species wiped out. You know, for example, the looking at um, Pyramid Lake. And I know you probably get this question all the time, but, you know, when, when do you expect to see now that they have the uh, Derby Dam, those fish, those giant Lahatans starting to swim up the Truckee? Um, and how far up do you think they're going to go? So, um, I mean, they're... The fish have the capability, right? So last year in 2020, in the spring of 2020, um, 50, roughly 1,500 of those big lake run fish um, were passed over. So Marble Bluff Dam is the first dam. When fish come out of Pyramid Lake, they've got, and these, these numbers are all rough. I don't know them offhand, but it's about five miles upriver from the lake. They run into Marble Bluff. Um, that is a, it's a solid structure dam. Um, it was built to stop a head cut in the river back. I don't know when, but so the fish can't get over that on their own. So they swim into basically a, it's called a fish lock. It's basically an elevator and they swim into this elevator, it hoists them up. And then manually the fish and wildlife service guys that work there, pass those fish over the dam, release them upstream of the dam. And then they're free to go the next, whatever it is, eight miles to, to what's called Numana Dam, which is also on tribal ground. And that one has a fish passage structure that is semi-functional. So not all fish that get there can get through that. Um, and it's kind of dependent on flow conditions and a bunch of other stuff. But they, they sort of figured, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. This is all kind of rough. And, but about one in three, one in four of those fish that hit Numana last year were able to get upstream of Numana. So you've got a fraction of that 1,500 that are actually swimming upstream of Numana. And once they're upstream of Numana, they've got free reign all the way to Derby Dam. Um, we know or that from tag data last year that fish made it all the way to Derby Dam. So, so they can do that, um, and they're currently doing that. Got a handful of guys fished for those fish below Derby Dam last year and were able to catch them. Um, it's, you know, it, it's becoming a fishery. So, so that is what happened to date so we know for a fact they can do that so now the next question is um now that the derby dam project is complete and fish can go upstream of it without getting entrained in the Truckee canal that flows to lahontan um are they going to do that and this year's kind of a test year on that um so the fish and wildlife service are the ones that are implementing this project and they're they're going to be monitoring those fish as they go through that fishway at derby dam and then um, a handful of them will have those, the, the radio tags, the telemetry tags on them, and they'll track how far up the system they go. So um, last year, for instance, they took a handful of fish, put those tags in them, and trucked them up above Derby Dam and just released them. And of those fish, I know at least one of them made it all the way through Sparks, through Reno, and up to the River, River Bend Dam. Um, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that location. but Right, yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, and that's, that's a substantial move. I mean, that's, that fish was cooking, moving up river. Um, realistically, I mean, you, you don't know what they're going to do uh, historically that the downtown Truckee area was kind of prime spawning area. I mean, you read all the anecdotal stuff, all the old reports of you basically being able to walk across the back of those fish through that area. Um, and really, it's still great spawning habitat. It's, you know, smaller substrate, um, there's decent flow through there in the fall, or I'm mean, sorry, in the spring. Um, I anticipate that's where a lot of them will hang up. Um, 
but there's there's other there's a lot of issues you know you've got glendale there's a pretty big structure there that they can they can clearly get above but it's going to slow some down um just what they have to go through once they get you know kind of past lockwood they hit a lot of that slower kind of frog warm water that comes out of the treatment facility right um, so yeah it's 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 all kind of it's still in just kind of a learn as we go phase right now um and and all that being said i mean the the fish and wildlife service are the ones who are who are kind of spearheading this program right now we're and now we're working on some some smaller stuff to look at them but the the fish and wildlife service are the ones who are doing it they're doing a pretty i mean it's pretty cool stuff that they're coming out with um but they may decide right now currently we're not ready to have those fish upstream of derby dam and they may say we're going to shut that fish way down and we're only going to have cutthroat trout below derby dam and i mean that's yeah i mean we just we just don't know where we're going yet yeah and that's just kind of what it is and so and so and then your end of it would be your uh maintaining the current fishery which would be with you know the brown trout and the rainbows cutthroats and all the the goodies that are in the in the trucky now um and does that management that includes do you go past derby dam or is that your limit or how, how far do you go well so on, no on the trucky river on the trucky river specifically obviously yeah. i know you're in the state but yep yep no so um i mean so basically the state of nevada has management authority of the wildlife within the state unless they're basically an endangered species so okay. once those fish swim off of tribal tribal property which would right upstream of the wads the bridge the i-80 bridge near wadsworth um once those fish swim upstream of that they i mean for lack of a, a better term i mean this is very big picture but they become property to say in nevada and so uh-huh. so we we manage the fishery from there to the california state line um, okay yeah yeah and so i mean yeah like you said we have I mean, I have a responsibility to the the public of Nevada and the public in general to maintain the fishery that exists in the Truckee River. Um, and so, yeah, we're there's a lot going on in the cutthroat world and really the, the Truckee Tahoe system, I mean, in general. So, yeah, we're just le- learning as we go and trying to work with everyone who's involved. Yeah, and speaking of that, you do a lot of great work on the Truckee, and, and I know Ben and I always try to give you kudos on it because we, we think it's very well managed considering the amount of traffic that goes on it. But I think I think we like to highlight all the work that you do that you do and have done in the rest of the state. Like you men- mentioned, you did uh, part of your work uh, in the Winnemuc area, you know, north of the Winnemuc area. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what one could, you know, expect to see out there or what they may not be aware of. What kind of wild fish, uh, what kind of you know wild trout fishery may be out there, and you know because most people drive through and they they're, they're driving through on Highway 80 and they see, you know they see sagebrush and mountains. You know you're not really seeing any water. You might run into rye patch and go, where's that coming from? And it looks like a big puddle. You know so, but maybe you can paint a little picture on on w- what Nevada looks like to those that are looking from the outside in. Yeah, um, yeah, that's. I'm excited to talk about the rest of the rest of the state and what we've, what we've got. I mean, um, really north of Reno. I mean, so my, my current region covers basically the Northwest portion of the state. So, um, okay. <laughs> but I mean, I, I can talk about the whole Northern portion. I just am not, I don't manage a lot of it, but the guys doing it are doing a kick-ass job. Um, 
but so north of reno we've got a handful of reservoirs um that are that are on fire right now and have been for the past two three years um and words kind of getting out on them people are starting to realize it last year got a little busy on them but um i mean i i hate to throw them out just because I don't want people mad at me, but you, can give, it's code, a, you can give them code names if you want. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, it's fine. It's a public resource and I'm, and I'm proud of what they are. So, um, so wall Canyon reservoir is one of them. It's, sure. um, you know, it's from Reno, you're looking roughly three hour drive. You go up North, North of Reno, um, past pyramid Lake to Gerlach and then, um, split the granite mountain range on the West side headed towards what would be like you're headed towards Cedarville, California. And then, about halfway in between Gerlach and Cedarville, and there's a small, teeny brown BLM sign on the side of the highway that says Wall Canyon Reservoir. And <laughs> you pull off, pull off right there, and you're eight miles on a dirt road to the reservoir itself. But it's, it's, uh, it's fairly large. You know, you can't, like you said, you can't see it from the road. You look out that way, it just looks like brown hills and desert. And you come over one little rise, and all of a sudden you're looking at a fairly large reservoir. Um, sits in a canyon. It's got a, so it's stocked. Um, we do a, a put, grow, and take uh, hybrid fishery there. So it's bow cut trout, which are hybrid rainbows and, and cut bow. And they they persist in there. So it's not like a, a typical, you know, like say the Truckee River. It's, we put those fish in there and they live and they get big and they get, and they become very healthy. Um, so last, just, I did my surveys in there last year and the average size of, cut bow trout or bow cut trout that we were sampling in there was 18 inches so i mean with an average of 18 wow. inches that's yeah so big that's great yeah yeah it's pretty impressive and and um i mean big number days too so i have a, an angler drop box up there so people report what they're catching um how many fish they're catching and you know i spent quite a bit of my free time up there this year as well and i mean it's nothing to have a 20 30 fish day on trout there and then there's also a wild um, self-sustaining smallmouth bass fishery in there that's developed in the past six, seven years. That is for, if you like fishing for, for bass, I mean, there's some, you can catch smallmouth on every cast if you want. And if you're there at the right time of the year and you know what you're doing and how to target some of those bigger smallmouth, you're going to catch some 14, 15 inch smallmouth, which is for, for Nevada, pretty awesome smallmouth. And at least for the Northern part of Nevada. Um, no, that's, and that's great. Those smallmouth are super great. For, for those that aren't familiar, there, there is, there's a few areas locally that you can go and find smallmouth. I know Prosser Res Reservoir is one of them in the California side, but that pound per pound, per pound fight in those fish is, is something else. It, it, would, it would feel a, a, a one-pound smallmouth could feel like a three, four, five-pound trout. It's pretty <laughs> remarkable, and they just don't stop. They just keep going and going. And they got some spunk to them. So that's good to hear that you got a great smallmouth fishery up there, along with the trout fishery. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, and then also there's a wild brown trout fishery in the reservoir as well, self-sustaining. Oh. Um, they, the creek that feeds um, the reservoir itself has a pretty robust brown trout population. Um, uh -huh. And they're, you know, it is a creek, so they're, they're fairly small, but I've seen some absolute giants in some pools. And then, the reservoir they grow big when they end up in the reservoir and they grow big in there the reservoir's got a really healthy crayfish population okay. so so that i mean trout we, we've done stomach samples on everything and pretty much everything's eating the crayfish and then what's we've realized this year while we were out there working for a few days was 
there's actually a small hexagenia hatch that happens. You know, really? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, we're not far as the crow flies from, you know, where it's really more pronounced in California. Sure. But yeah, we were seeing that real late evening, small hexagenia hatches going on out there as well. And those cut bow in there and I'm assuming Browns, I didn't see any, but those cut bow were just hammering that. So. Wow. It's, it's a cool what, spot. What type of fishing do you do when you're on your own? It depends if I am, if it's just purely for pleasure or having fun, most of the time it'll be, it'll be fly fishing. Um, I'm not by any means a great fly fisherman or, or have any specific technique. Like I'm not a, I'm not a Euro nymph or I don't fish a straight streamers, whatever I can catch a fish on, I'm happy with. Um, but then, I mean, I, I grew up bait fishing and, you know, all while Canyon, I went up there with my dad this summer, took him up there for an evening and we, uh, we, he took his boat and I mean, I haven't trolled trout in a long time we trolled trout and I had just as much fun doing that as I have doing anything else. So, um, yeah, I'll do whatever, whatever it takes to catch fish. Um, but if I, you know, if it's pleasure and like I'm doing it purely for fun, it'll be fly fishing. Um, yeah, that's, that's, it's, I've just gotten to that point where I enjoy that, but there's times when I'm fishing technically for work, trying to identify you know, different, different things. If I'm trying to get fish health, if I want to grab five, six fish to take samples on and make sure things are healthy, see what they're eating, that kind of stuff. I'll throw a, a rooster tail on a spinning rod and cast that out there just because I'm way more effective with that than I am a fly rod. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. um, but yeah, so there's, that's wall. Um, there's another smaller reservoir North of wall Canyon called Boulder reservoir. Um, that one's entirely hatchery maintained, similar to wall with that we do. It's a put, grow, and take. So we stock. It's only rainbows that go in there. Um, okay. But they, they persist. It's a smaller reservoir, but real high catch rates up there. Um, I mean, I, again, don't have numbers with me, but it's it was easily over 30 fish a day on, on what was reported up there this year. Um, guys love it. A lot of guys fish it out of float tubes with indicator rigs that kind of stuff and just have an awesome time there is a good a good dry fly thing that happens in the evenings but again you can fish it with rooster tails whatever none of the none of these are special reg waters so you can do whatever you want up there and you know i think i want to say there are five fish limits on both of them so um that and then um in that same area just north of gerlach is also squaw creek reservoir which um in the past few past few years has become pretty popular for some very, very large bass, um, large mouth bass, um, not smallies and, you know, a handful of guys who, who really know what they're doing are catching some big, big, large mouth in there specifically in the early summer. Um, and then we stock it with channel catfish. Um, and then same thing, we stock it with rainbows and browns and it's just a productive kind of smaller fishery. It's it, that one from Reno is only about hour and 45 minutes, two hours. So a lot of people will day trip that. Oh uh -huh, yeah, but yeah. So that those are kind of my northern reservoirs, and then um, another one that you know is is right here that a lot of people don't get to is Marlette Lake. Um, right, right. Which is I, a, I wanted wanted to hear you talk about that a little bit because it's, it's something pretty special, and I know it takes a little bit of work uh, 
for people to get to. But yeah, why don't you expand upon that? Because it's it's not only beautiful, but I know you got some great fish in there. And then, but I know you put a lot of work in there as well. Yeah, um, yeah, Marlette's a cool spot. It's our it's the state of Nevada's brood stock for so like those bow cuts that I mentioned that we stock in the Wall Canyon. We actually we actually make those fish up at Marlette. Um, so Marlette's got it's got cut lahan cutthroat in it. Um, the the summit strain or the the contemporary strain, um, and then rainbow trout, and then wild self sustaining brook trout. And um, we we use the lake as brood stock. So in the in the spring, I'm up there and we've got a spawning station and fish swim up the stream. You know naturally looking to spawn and because there's not enough natural habitat at Marlette, you know, back in the, I think it was the sixties, the state of Nevada decided to build a spawning station there. And I mean, it's been used every year since, which is crazy. Um, but so these fish swim up, we capture them, separate them out by species and sex. And then a few days a week, we'll actually spawn them. So we take eggs from the females, we fertilize them with the males and then release the fish back to the lake to grow and get bigger and older. And then those eggs go to our hatchery and, um, you know, it's substantial cost savings for the state of Nevada because we're making our own fish as opposed to buying them from somewhere else. But sure. Um, but then the cool part was, you know, that lake was always closed to fishing through the 70s, 80s, 90s. And then in 2002, um, we decided the state decided to open that up to the public for fishing in a special season. You know, it's a short season. So the season runs July 15th through the end of September. It's a uh, it's catch and release and single barbless because, you know, we want to protect those fish because we're utilizing them, you know, year in and year out. Um, but sure. we, we want the public to enjoy it. But it like you said, there's some awesome fish in there. There are some really big cutthroat that swim around in there. Um, they're the, the summit strain. So they're not not the pilot strain that grow to be 30 pounds in Pyramid Lake. But I mean, for an alpine lake that sits at 8000 feet to catch a five, six pound cutthroat trout is pretty impressive and they're pretty up there. I mean, that water is super cold, super clear. Those fish get that deep red color to them. Um, the rainbows in there, same thing. They, they get big and healthy and um, they're some of the prettiest rainbows you're going to find. And then a lot of people and, and they take a little, they're, they're a little more finicky to catch, but the, the wild brook trout that exists in um, up there in Marlette are, second to none in the state. I mean, you're going to find the biggest brook trout you're going to catch in Nevada or up there. Um, harder to catch, harder to find, but they're, it's worth it. And yeah. And you mentioned it's tough to get to. It is, it's a, any way you look at it, it's either a five mile hike from Spooner Lake or a three mile hike from Tunnel Creek with some pretty serious elevation gain, but um, it's well worth it. And it sits right on the flume trail. It On a normal day in June when I'm working up there, I mean, there's a hundred and 150 people coming by on the trail who have no idea that it's an actual like that people come up there to fish so it's a cool spot and it's really lightly used for how big of and how big of a resource and how close to town it is but it's again i mean i it, i keep everything every spot in nevada is my favorite but marlette is is one of my favorites too so so it says a lot about protecting the fishery the fact that you either have a super strenuous you know three mile walk or you got a five mile hike in there. I mean, that, that does add to, you know, the, the type angler that's going to come in there and then the appreciation for the lake. So that, that's kind of a cool added factor to make sure that it's got some long, uh, longevity, you know, for sure. But, but what, just curious, I mean, at that elevation, you know, what, what are the fish eating up there? 
Yes, I you know from from insects and stuff. Is there a leech population? Is there a bait fish population? What's what's a a main sustenance of their diet? Yeah, so there there is there's a leech population. Um, there's a really healthy crayfish population, and then there's also tui chub population and oh. plants and suckers. So, so yeah, there's I mean food wise they're not struggling by any means up there. The the real limiting factor on Marlette Lake is like you said it's eight thousand feet. So that growing season is real short for them because ice off on a normal year is the beginning of May. And then that thing's, you know, so, and that water's frigid until mid June. So fish are really only putting on weight through July, August, September. And then by October you're cooling off again and those fish are becoming pretty dormant. So yeah, it's, it's just a real short growing season, but fish, fish live long time in there. We have, we had we we've done several tagging studies, tracking strains and stuff like that. And this year, I had a rainbow trout come into our spawning station that had a tag on it. And when I went back through the records to figure out where it came from, that fish was a 12-year-old rainbow trout. He had, he had been in that lake growing for 12 years. Wow! Wow! Hey Ben, do you think there's any uh, there's any surf up there in high winds? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I asked that about pyramid. I, I heard that. I heard that on one of the ones I was one of your guys' other podcasts I was listening to. Yeah, I've so I run a boat up there at Marlette when we're doing the projects, and there have been days up there where I am a hundred percent confident because there's a where the dam is on Marlette Lake. It's it's wide open from there facing to the west. So you're looking like if you stand on the dam, you're looking out. You're I don't, I don't know, a thousand feet higher than Tahoe, but you're looking out over Lake Tahoe. It's an awesome view. Like if you wow. hike up, if you hike up there, go check it out. It's pretty awesome. But so the wind rips over that dam and I've been up there in the boat on days when I'll come out of the cove where our spawning station is water's fairly flat, glassy, and you're cooking along head into another part of the lake and you come out in front of the dam and there are four foot swells blowing off that dam. And you, and <laughs> I spin that boat around and head back to the cove as fast as possible. So does, wow. do we need, do we need a special permit for Ben to engage those, uh, or, or, or just the fact that he's going to lug a surfboard yeah. five miles. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have <laughs> that, a fly that's his permit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's, you don't need any permit for that one. Go for it. And, if, and when you do, let me know, because I want to see it. <laughs> Let's see, Ben. There we go. We found something. Because he's already done. He successfully has done Tahoe uh -huh. a few times. Right, Ben? And then, yeah, you know, the, a, yeah lot, the, a lot. Where do you, uh, of course, where uh, at on Tahoe? Well, depending on where the wind goes, but often, um, probably... Sand Harbor is the most common place, gotcha. and uh, Burnt Cedar is a spot. Yeah, Kings Beach will have waves, and then pretty much anywhere in between there, you yeah. find uh, different random peaks breaking there, and gotcha. it's pretty fun. It's it's interesting. A lot of people turn out. Yeah, yeah, it's, I've been. Uh, I've been up there. I run a project in the springtime up there in Incline Village, and I've I've been up there on days it cracks me up. I'll be out, you know, doing fish stuff, and you'll see a kid riding into Ski Beach on on a skateboard with there's a foot of snow on the ground, and he's riding a skateboard, towing a surfboard with him, and he's heading out to the lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just neat all the variety that you could do in Nevada. 
It's just such a beautiful state. I, yeah, I, I love. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, what's your cue, Ben? Because I know you you watch you watch the wind and stuff. But it's just since we're on the topic, is there a specific type of storm that you're looking for? One that's coming like coming out of you know it's out of the south you know, headed northeast or directly out of the west? Where do you find the, the, the best waves, you know, and they have those wind advisories? What's your what's your go-to? Like, you hear it and you're like, I'm Usually going. Usually the, the waves are going to be breaking and being received over in the, that kind of area where I mentioned, the sand, yeah. that part of the lake with starting sure. over at Sand Harbor all the way through this beach. But there's a couple times where the wind will blow the opposite direction. And then up oh. by Emerald Bay, you've got waves, places you don't usually get them. But a lot oh. of people, I'm just, I'll get start to get texts from different people. Then I'll get the uh, wind advisory. And then, you know, the, they'll do the analysis and we'll, we'll make the call. But I, I usually try to look for like, I don't know, 27 knots. <laughs> then you're talking about some serious wind there no kidding yeah <laughs> and, and, and instantaneous I, freezing <laughs> and, I, and i do look for fish uh also on the trucky so we talked about this before travis um you know the the um the feature downtown mm-hmm. there's a wave right there and nico and i we've looked down in there and we've seen trout swimming underneath of where the wave usually breaks mm-hmm. in the spring we'll see it at the other times of the year yeah. uh, it's a it's the craziest thing you just look down from the walkway and then it's like right right as that high water starts to recede and you, you lose that turbidity in the water and it starts to clear up a little bit and you'll see the water rushes by it but then it kind of whirlpools in there and you'll just see at the bottom and on the edges you'll just see what do we see ben maybe a dozen or more you know decent sized trout just hanging in there and you're like man there's no way you could get to them because they could see you way before (laughs) you know you see them if you're approaching them from the ground level you know and it's just like you know trying to get anything down in there but it was funny because just you know a month month and a half before you know uh ben's river surfing literally (laughs) like almost right on top of them like literally because he he, that's it, it that wave or that that wave or where you want to call it breaks it's breaking constantly like right in front of them and then where you you know would get off and then circle back around you literally swim right over them to get back onto <laughs> you know that 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 wave or that river wave it's hilarious but yeah it's crazy yeah there's yeah. a good good feeling there you know whatever something's keeping them there they're safe they're not being screwed with they might have to deal with a flipper every once in a while, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, that brings up a question maybe you can answer for us. And it's something that I know Ben and I have talked about and other anglers have talked about. You know, when you get high high water events, whether it's on the Truckee or any other body of water in Nevada, you know, whether it's a stream, river, anything, uh, what does that do to the distribution of of the wild fish population? Like, do, 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 can can they actually hang in there or do they... Like, how, does it does it move, literally move them from one section to the other, or can they stay in their area? Like, how does that how does that work? Smaller fish have the hardest time with it. Um, they're the ones that are typically pushed out of the better stuff. You know, when when those kind of things happen, they're the ones that are going to end up moving downstream a bit. But 
they're they don't want like they, they don't want to do that they're not they're actively trying not to do that so one thing to think about is even when flows come up and when we get these high flow events um there's there's still drag so the bottom of the river is still not flowing like the top of the river right because right that, so that water's flowing along the rocks, structure, whatever. It slows down. It's tumbling. So those fish are tucked in, tucked down low. They're not. They're, they'll tuck in behind rocks. They're not taking the brunt of that flow like like if they were just up in the water column. And I mean, you see, you'll see that if you fish during that time of the year. A lot of people yeah. will target. They'll target the edges, you know, where the water's much slower, and they'll have some of the the best days of fishing they've ever had when it's yeah. when it's blown out but they're fishing the far edges because you know i mean you throw a san juan worm on the edge when the river's blown out and you're going to catch fish and it's because one those those worms are being exposed but two all the fish are tucked into that slower water avoiding that really rapid current but yeah you're going to have some smaller fish young of the year fish juvenile fish that get caught up in it and tumble downstream for a little ways before they can find somewhere to hunker down I love that you mentioned San Juan worm because <laughs> in no way, shape, or form is that potentially in high water the most effective uh, fly pattern out there. It's just it's just a fluke that you mentioned that. It's just no one uses a San Juan. No way. Never ever. No, but that's funny you mentioned that. But it makes sense because it's one, it's 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 big. You know, if you're using a, a bright color like a red or pink, it stands out. And then that high water events, I mean, as you kind of explained, you know, those... Uh, all those bugs and worms and stuff are being leached out uh, from the banks around um, the river, um, and that's an easy, an easy meal, high yeah. protein, high calorie, and all that good stuff. Fish love it, so yeah. yeah but and I, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, sh I should preface all this. I can, I can talk like you know. Oh yeah, just throw a San Juan worm out there, and you know, I, I'll go out and do that for four hours and not touch a fish. So, I, you know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's weird being the biologist for the river you know i i have an intimate knowledge of where a lot of these fish are concentrated where they are at certain times of the year but that doesn't mean a, a thing when i go out there with a rod in my hand so no it's you know, crazy it's crazy ben remember like uh there's eh, we'll keep it loose here there's a specific dam close to state line where year after year almost it seems like travis and his crew have done their uh, you know electroshock survey and he's got these great pictures of these browns that just get a little bigger a little bigger each year and at this point i don't know what they look like but it, it's phenomenal on where you find those type of fish in the river and you know or you know the ditches or anything like that and then you'll physically go to that location and try to fish it or you know observe like okay at some point i gotta see this fish it's got to be here and you don't see them but you know they're there and it's like how can something that big hide i yeah. mean do you find that like say like maybe when you do your surveys that you're looking at a stretch of river or a stretch of still water and you're like ah, there's nothing here then you hit it and then a whale pops up i mean is that pretty common yeah all all the time and i mean I I've been doing it long enough that it, it that nothing surprises me anymore, or at least very little. But when we bring new people out or volunteers on the projects and stuff, um, they're they're always the ones that make those comments. Like there's they'll just like oh, there's no way I thought we were gonna get a fish out of that, and we'll pull out three browns over twenty inches. And you know, yeah, you 
it's it's uh, it's mind blowing when you look at the river that way to see where fish hang and to know what's there and and how little we actually touch there how little the public or anglers or whatever actually touch those fish um yeah it's it's pretty cool and i'm super excited we've got a new i spent the last couple of years putting piecing together a new sampling device we got a new cataract that we'll be able to actually do the whole river now instead of just sections we're going to be able to float the river and electrofish. you know we won't obviously electro electrocute the whole entire river but what it's going to do is open up we're going to be able to survey and sample a lot of areas that we haven't been able to in the past for one reason or another so it'll just you know more so give us a better idea of what that fishery looks like how long do those fish stay out when they're electrocuted Oh, most of the time. And, and if we're doing it right and conditions are right, it it's, they're not even out it, you know, that the electrical field will hit them and it basically stuns them They're You'll see them like they're, they're drawn to that electricity, but they're still upright and swimming. And we're able to, if you've got a good crew, you're able to net those fish real quick and get them in the live well out of the electricity. If, you know, for one reason or another, someone doesn't see the fish or it's a little deeper or whatever, you miss it with a net and it gets hit a little harder then they can be out for, you know, up to a minute, but anything longer than a minute is super uncommon. And, and we've, our crew and the, the people I work with, my supervisor, all the, all the guys I work with are, have all been doing it so long. You know, we know what to look for. We know, you know, if things don't look right, what settings we need to adjust that type of stuff. And so, um, you know, really it's, it's, if I'm seeing a fish out for longer than 20, 30 seconds, we're, we're changing stuff. So. You know, I, I, um, just to kind of change it up a little, I'm thinking as you're traveling out to those reservoirs covering the state, that you've got to have a pretty good handle on some good food in the state of Nevada. And <laughs> one of our favorite questions to you is, where's your favorite burrito in the state? So I can give you, I can give you actually, oh. <laughs> okay, I've got, two spots in nevada and actually a third but it's in idaho that if i drive by any of these three spots i'm getting one um the first, all three of them yeah do yeah, it, do yeah. It. The, the first the first one is so i spent i've i've mentioned it a couple of times i start actually next week i'll be up in tahoe working on a project for the next basically three months and i'm up there literally every single day with a day off here and there and i'm actually going to take a short vacation but really i'm up there most days weekends and everything and my favorite thing to do on fridays up there is stop at t's um, uh, incline, <laughs> in incline okay. village and get get one of their burritos um nice so yeah that you know that's like my 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 treat to myself my dog gets half of it but um every friday i do that and then there's a spot um, in north of Winnemucca, Orvada. It's just a small, I think it's a shell station. Um, <laughs> well, you're laughing like you you're, la you're laughing like you've been there. Yeah, uh, no, uh, only only in our dreams. So it's funny, and <laughs> I want you to continue with it. But uh, a few pod a few podcasts ago, we had uh, uh, Dennis's Bister on, and he mentioned his favorite burrito came from a shell station uh in orvada so uh -huh. <laughs> we're very excited to hear what you have to say what your version yeah. is this is great because yeah. this is this is the first time this is the first time in burritos breaks and flies history that we've had two guests named the same place so we're on to something ben <laughs> yeah. this is on the map yeah. we got two pin we got two pins 
in the same <laughs> place. So okay. sorry, Travis. That's please funny. Continue. Yeah, no, that's funny. That that speaks volumes. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a Shell station. I think in Arvada, it's the only gas station there, um, and it's got it's the breakfast burritos that you key in on. And when I was when I was there, when I was doing my when I lived there and was doing that stream survey position, it was you know every week or you're heading out to the field for the week you stop in or really the the best thing was you'd get done for the week and we'd be headed back to town after camping all week on a friday and we would make sure we were at that shell station in the morning so we could all get a breakfast burrito before we went home and it just i don't i mean i don't know if it was just the fact that you're exhausted in the northern nevada desert in the middle of summer and something like that just hits the right spot but it they were amazing. I mean, still are amazing when I'm in that country. I just swing in and grab one. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I know. It, yeah, I mean, what is what's the favorite part about that specific one? Is it are you getting like that breakfast burrito? Is it the one that does have the tree? Chorizo, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, 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 chorizo. And yeah. I, I mean, I love I love chorizo in general. Like you can just put chorizo on a bun and eat it. Um, but yeah, that right. the chorizo that the whatever there. I mean, it may not even be a special recipe. They may be using store-bought chorizo, but it's good. And, and then they've got, they don't have, you know, a lot of breakfast burritos have way too much potato, not too much potato, the right amount of cheese. And, they, you know, it's wrapped up in a fairly large tortilla and then wrapped in foils and sits in the, the little heat box for whoever knows how long, but it's perfect. It, it allows all those flavors to mesh together inside that, that tortilla and comes out as, pure heaven wow we're gonna have a, have to have an orvada burrito symposium where we all gather <laughs> yeah <laughs> eat the orvada shell station burrito yeah so no, it's, it's good yeah i was i was gonna say it's interesting because a lot of people give some a burrito being fresh they give that way too much credit there's something to be said about sitting on the heat and yeah. letting those flavors come together, like you said. Yeah, in essence, I, like fermenting in a way, like it's it, yeah. almost a bad thing. Like the more <laughs> consequences, the more potential consequences. As Ben puts it, what is it? The what? What is that one thing, Travis? You got to hear this. What's this one yeah. thing that you look for in a good burrito place on the reviews, or what? What was that thing? Remember on the, 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 the was it the Google reviews the like the more yeah about burritos or just the food like the more negative reviews or like the more like yeah, bathroom so consequences yeah the food poisoning right you you have to have at least one or two reviews of food poisoning <laughs> otherwise you've got a scenario where the flavors aren't coming together properly <laughs> yeah it's too natural. I, I want. I want one hundred percent agree. I don't want a sterile burrito. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to have a little bit of risk. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the the third place that I was going to mention is in Idaho, and I won't I won't say the town's name because a handful of guys that I go to this spot with would would hang me if if I said the name of this place on on a podcast. But sure, it's a it's a fishing trip i actually it's the i'm looking to go on this fishing trip in the next couple of weeks um steelhead fishing in in idaho um north idaho and there's a just a gas station in this town we typically drive through and 
Um, it's same thing. I think they make the burritos like on Sunday and then just have them sitting in the heat lamp all week long. And because <laughs> <laughs> you, you come through, we, we go through three or four mornings in a row and early in the week, there's a pile of them. And by the end of the week, you're down to picking out the last few burritos, but, um, same thing. It's, it's a breakfast burrito. Um, they're not chorizo. They're either sausage or bacon. They're both equally as good, but in just, and that one, I, that one, I'm fairly confident is more a function of just being exhausted from being on the river for ten hours a day, and then maybe drinking a few too many beers at night, and then waking up at four a.m. and going fishing again every day. But those burritos are perfect for that. So. Do Do you feel like it's a lard a lard based flour tortilla? And the the reason I ask is because there's an inclusive built in timeline um, that's inherent to the nature of a lard based flour tortilla that we can actually age it it's almost like a, a simple form of carbon dating um, <laughs> with, without without any of like like real scientific you know, things behind it or mm-hmm. anything like that but what i'm saying is and it goes back to our classic measurement of a burrito mm-hmm. if it is a lard based flour tortilla the longer that it sits the more that that tortilla will clarify mm-hmm. the more that it becomes transparent yet at the same time it has and it maintains a hard shell, you know, but not like a hard crispy shell, just a you know, it's 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 a chewable shell. Ben, could you maybe please uh <laughs> remind Travis uh give him the Jurassic Park scenario. Everyone loves it, but please re- refresh Travis's mind here. The scene on Jurassic Park where they realize the T Rex defense is broken and they show the water cup and you just see the ripples in the cup and as the t-rex gets closer the ripples get bigger and bigger you got to be able to see some some ripples <laughs> and, I, and i was interested how do they serve it what packaging so so at the this idaho spot it's it's and there's this 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 lady that works there's named mary she's been there every year we've ever been there and she, she, we see them. She's loading them in the heater every morning. But they're they're all wrapped in all those ones are actually wrapped in foil. But there's a wax paper layer in between. Oh yeah, in between the foil and the burrito. Ben will explain to you here shortly. And, and <laughs> this is important, Travis, because we were concerned about your safety out in the field <laughs> um, and, and your security. And at some point, where maybe you're in a cabin and there's a power outage. And or you need a uh, a, a source of a source of warmth. Um, light I'll let, or a, 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 a light heat. Ben, please continue with the uh, the wax paper. Nico, Nico and I we call it a burrito candle. It, <laughs> it crosses that time where everything morphs together, and including the wax into the burrito, and yeah. it just doesn't matter. You don't want to give up a, a layer of of tortilla. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to sacrifice that opportunity, so you just kind of have to enjoy the wax. <laughs> so what, what Ben's trying to say, Travis, is that you have the option to uh, uh, sustain uh, your, your caloric intake and maintain body warmth by consuming the burrito uh, in a survival circumstance, or or uh, you can light the burrito like a candle. A Bunsen burner. The whole, thing's, the whole thing, yeah, a Bunsen burner. The whole thing's a wick. You know, you could just and you could literally stand the burrito up on its on its back end, and you have a source of light and warmth, <laughs> or all of the above. So, 
guess yeah. where we're going with that. So, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I feed my dog half the burrito and then use the other half for a candle. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And and one and one last indulgence in in, in the culinary world, uh, Travis is. Uh, I, I I had the honor and privilege of uh, testing and tasting of your special uh, the pastrami, but yeah. it's made out. But yeah, <laughs> why, why don't you tell tell folks? I mean, I, I I don't. It was quite unsuspecting, you know. Long story short, pastrami made out of goose breast. Was it goose breast? Am I right? Yeah, 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 can, yeah, yeah Canadian goose. Yeah, so I don't know. Grew up uh, again hunting and waterfowl hunting is probably you know I, I love big i love it all but waterfowl hunting is kind of my first love and goose hunting's always been big but i mean there's not a lot of people like geese you know I, I like them they're good you can stir fry them things like that but i mean it's not something where i'm just like sitting at home craving goose at any point in time but then a couple of years ago i stumbled onto this recipe for goose pastrami and it's it's a process to make you've got to cure the meat for three days you've got to smoke it for a few hours i mean it, it takes a while but it is it's phenomenal i mean i'll i am now instead of you know shooting geese as a byproduct of a, a good duck hunt we used to say now I'll, i mean i'm going out specifically targeting geese so i can make pastrami because i want enough to last me for the entire year and i'll pull it out of the freezer you know you heat it up in a pan and i'm making pastrami sandwiches out of it and i'm glad you liked it and i mean i've I have yet to give that to someone and have them not like it and not ask for more. So. Oh, well, you know, you have a whole fan crew at my workplace now because, you know, <laughs> my, 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 my primary job's in the meat industry. So I shared it with everyone in the shop and it was just, just thumbs up awesome. all the way around. So that's, that's, that's quite the accomplishment. So I'm just keeping the source. I keep the source a secret. I'll just say, hey, it's <laughs> from a guy, from a guy down south, down in the Gardnerville yeah. area. So. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Those no, are it's great, great stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean geese geese fly over my house every day, and I'm just counting how many how many breasts full of pastrami that is. <laughs> you got like a pastrami count on the wall. Exactly. What are those hash marks? Uh, <laughs> how many pounds of pastrami I can make in a day yeah. if I took yep. them out of flight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's funny. That's great. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was just wondering, what's in the future? What do you see uh, any changes in development for the state of Nevada for you personally? Um, work, you know, state of Nevada work-wise, I mean, the, the cutthroat trout stuff is big, um, specifically in the Truckee, Tahoe area. You know, there's there's a lot happening. We, again, we don't know exactly where it's heading, and there's going to be some pretty big conversations that have to be had. but um, it's all trending in a positive direction. And so, I mean, I, ideally, you know, the per in a perfect world, the Truckee river is going to develop into a multi-tiered fishery with, you know, a spring run of cutthroat trout. And then, you know, but we're going to maintain that year round sport fishery that consists of rainbows, browns, um, the occasional brook trout, whitefish. Um, so yeah, I mean that, and then, you know, Nevada is, a, a, a desert state so we do suffer from periods of prolonged drought so those other reservoirs i mentioned in the northwest part of the state um they suffer bad when we do have drought so you know we may see a downtick in pr productivity in those waters but if we continue to have average to above average winters those fisheries are just going to continue to get better um 
and I didn't even talk about the northeast part of the state, but that northeast part of the state kind of maintains itself. The the bios over there do an awesome job, and there's some really cool fisheries over there, Wild Horse, South Fork. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's Nevada. We our fisheries are are trending in a positive direction, and you know, I I, I talk to a lot of people any given day, week, month, year, and you know, I try to take every conversation I have and build off of it. And a lot of people seem to be happy right now. So, I mean, that I take that as a good sign that we're doing something right. Um, personally, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. I love my job. I, you know, I don't, I've, I've started some things that I want to see through, so I don't anticipate going anywhere. Um, just trying to live my life one hunting trip or fishing trip to the next and trying to get as much meat as I can can every year so i don't have to buy any and um keep my dog happy that's that's my main goal really outside of everything else i just want my dog to be happy so um yeah i don't i don't know (laughs) i don't know i yeah that's about it i guess that's great hey and you know if, if, if anybody is looking for maybe information on any um, of, of the fisheries uh, in the state or any wildlife information, uh, where, where could they go for uh, a direct line on that? Um, I mean, our website is the central location, okay. um, it's, which is ndow.org. Um, but then, you know, we've also got offices. We've got regional offices in the big towns, so Reno, um, Elko, and Vegas, and then there's field offices in a lot of the small towns. I mean, it's Winnemucca, Tonopah, Battle Mountain. They have, but I mean, really getting online, finding some guy in your in your area, and just reaching out. I mean, that's one thing. Our agency, our agency's small, but it, whether it's game fish, whatever. I mean, all the people I know of, are, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone who calls with a question. It may take two, three weeks to get back to people just because of, we're not always in the office, but. Most of the guys I know are, are, are and girls are actively, you know, happy to talk to people. So just just reach out. I mean, it's easy to find us, and and we're happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So yeah, absolutely. And I know from personal experience, everyone that I've ever met or come across at Endow is actively engaged, and they're very passionate about what they do, just like you, uh, Travis. And I remember one of the first times, my first interactions with you. <laughs> I remember, and it was just. We won't get into it, but it was just it was a, it was a you know it was a good question about the fishery and about you know it was about a wild trout section or something. And you're right, it it did take you just a little bit to get back to me. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, if if you do send him uh, uh, a question, yes, it may take a few weeks, but you're going to get a thorough um, and complete answer uh, to, <laughs> to the best of his knowledge. It was it was impressive. Usually, you'll either get nothing, you know, back from you know a wildlife agency depending on where you're at, or it'll just be a you know, a canned answer of, you know, thank you for your input. I don't know. And you're just like, great. Wow. That got nowhere, but it was, it was legitimate. So he's Travis is very engaging and I appreciate that. Um, and I think, I think the public does too. Um, and hopefully, yeah. you know, and, people appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, and then from, from my end, like you, Nico personally and Ben too have been, you guys are awesome. I mean, you guys are, it's nice on this end to, to know guys who are, who are that engaged in the river and the resource who don't, you know, I mean, I, I, I have to be, it's my job. I would, I would be anyway, but like you guys, you, you could, you could turn, turn a blind eye to it and just go fish and that would be it. But no, you guys are reaching out, asking questions. I see you guys on the, when there's trash cleanups, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I appreciate it as much. And then, 
two, I get information from you. I mean, you're always hitting me up with fishing questions, sending me pictures. What's this, what's this. And, and that's tight. I mean, I'm, I'm one guy and our, our crew is four guys across the Northern part of the state of Nevada. So I get as much information from anglers and guys who are at my waters as I do from my own work. So yeah, it's, it's, it's appreciated on my end too. No, awesome. I don't know any time. And I know we've sent quite a few things across to you, including, I remember Ben and I found the zombie fish. Uh, we call it the zombie fish of lion country on the eastern. Uh, it was on the, uh, the eastern trucking. We found this. We were just crossing the river and <laughs> we saw this thing bobbing in and out of the water. And we're like, what? Swimming was, circles. Swimming circles. It's probably what Ben was, 16, 17 inch rainbow or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it wasn't small. It wasn't small, but it was all all dark like it was losing nourishment like it's like one of those alaska rainbows like right in front of a a a salmon egg feed where they're just starving and they turn that dark color but he had no eye he had one eye missing and he just couldn't keep he couldn't keep his head down and he was trying and we we tried things with him and we just watched him go down river and yeah, Snorkel- like he's a- snorkeling. He was snorkeling. <laughs> it looked like a character right out of Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the, to, like a spawned out salmon that's on its last legs. I mean, yeah, they get that same look. And I don't, I don't, I remember that. I don't remember what I told you, but I mean, just you describing it right now, it just sounds like a fish that had reached its end and was barely hanging on. Yeah, yeah, it was something else. But it's one of those things, like we, you know. Like I said, we like to share with you, and, and yeah. we're like, "Hey, I don't know, is this bad? You know, <laughs> yeah. something going on the river?" But you know, I figure it's legitimate information that it is that you like to that you like to know. So, yeah. And, that, awesome. and I just wanted to add to give you props because it's no small feat with all the people fishing now and all the use on all the waterways to have the the health just continue to grow, grow, grow. It's just really exciting. Yeah, no, I, nice I, work. Thank you. I, yeah, I appreciate it, and I mean, we appreciate it, and and I will, you know, I'll say take it with a grain of salt because I've been I've been here long enough now to see the bad drought years, and I know what it looks like during those drought years. So, you know, we're all at the mercy of Mother Nature, but when we have good years, we do we do the best we can. So, and I was uh, just wanted to add for our listeners in some of the surrounding states with access to our area, Idaho, Oregon, California, where do people go to get their endow, their license? Yeah, it's, it's super easy now. Our agency's done a really great job of, you know, kind of modernizing our system and you can go on it's, it's endow licensing.com. I believe give me half a second to make sure it's not like a .org or something. Yep. So the, yeah, and the <laughs> yeah. licensing has that licensing has been great because now you got that yearly. Where I mean, it's yeah. not just like it's not a set year; it's from the time of purchase until that. yeah, that, yeah. That's that's so great. I think I'm glad that you guys instituted that, and I, I I wish some neighboring states would take that cure. They tried to, but you guys, you know, as far as mm-hmm. out here, you took the lead on that. I think a lot of anglers are happy about that. It's great management there. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it is, it is, it's endowlicensing.com and, and yeah, you can get on there, create a profile, get your license. And, and yeah, like you said, it's, it used to be from the end of, I think the end of February to the end of February. So if you bought your license in December, you had a license for two months. Now it's calendar year from the date of purchase. So you're a year from the date of purchase. So if you buy it on January 2nd, 
it's good till January 2nd the following year. Um, and there's even an option where you can just click auto renew. So you don't even have to think about it every year. Your license will just automatically, it'll take it out of your credit card, debit card, whatever you use, but it'll just automatically give you a new license. So you'll never ever be illegal in the field if you do that. So. Yeah. And, and a great tip. And matter of fact, I'm, I'll relay this. This is from one of our first guests, um, uh, Chris Sega over at the, uh, the nature conservancy. He does something pretty great every year. Uh, you know, whether he's committed to hunting or, or fishing in that calendar year or that year where he could buy his license, he made a great point of saying, hey, if you enjoy the outdoors in Nevada, if you like going to the river or if you like going on that hike or just enjoying the scenery, go buy a fishing license or go buy a hunting license, whether you use it or not, because those funds are going to help support guys like you, Travis, and everyone that works at Endow to help sustain, uh, you know, those, you know, all the facilities and all the work and all the research and all the time that goes into managing uh, those outdoor areas. So I thought that was a great, a great idea. So I would encourage a listener, even if you're like, ah, I might make it to Nevada, you know, maybe on the California side or in Oregon, uh, just, just go out and, and grab it. Even, even if it's a one day use where you're paying 12 bucks, that 12 bucks goes a long way. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people who don't partake or don't, yeah, don't partake in the outdoors don't realize that, you know, wildlife doesn't exist by accident. And the people that are funding the work that keeps wildlife on the landscape are the hunters and the fishermen who are buying those hunting and fishing licenses. And, and those hunting and fishing licenses aren't just paying for animals we like to shoot and hook. It's, I mean, we have an entire non-game division that focuses on bats and pika and every other species you can imagine that is funded through some federal grants, but a lot of hunter and angler dollars. So yeah, that, that's awesome. And one thing, real quick, you, you brought up Chris Sega, who I, I work with him pretty regularly, and, and he's, doing, he's doing something really cool right now, kind of spearheading an, an initiative that I'm involved with we're trying to get some more access points put on that on the lower Truckee river so um we we actually just met yesterday and um working on putting in some actual um boat ramps on that lower river and opening up some stretches of that that river that people right now can't really fish we're trying to get more public access down there and again all that stuff is being funded by by license dollars so that's terrific a couple good boat ramps would go a long way yeah yeah <laughs> save, <laughs> save a lot of physical well it's it's you know it's it's pretty western right now how you have to do it after you have to get it you know how you get in and out like say with the drift boat it's 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 yeah. fun you know but you know at the same time that's cool for about a trip or two and then you're like again <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's yeah there's there's a couple you know old structures that guys are using and yeah, another another guy another guy who's been kind of pushing this is is Jim at the Reno Fly Shop, and yeah, there's a good group of guys interested in it, and and I think it'll be if it if this all comes to fruition, it'll be a huge benefit to that lower river. So, awesome. I know um, uh, part of the Bearfish Alliance crew, um, Taylor the Prodigy Brune, Nico, myself, we took a fly craft down there, mm -hmm. and you know, just going from one exit to another. I think we were on the river for four hours. Well, well into the dark. It was. It was. It, it, it was. It was five. <laughs> it was a little over five hours. I gave. I gave Travis the, the backstory on that. We can talk about our entry point, 
but the exit point <laughs> on this podcast, for legality's sakes, is off limits. Um, <laughs> it never happened. It never occurred. Yeah. But we did put the yeah. boat in the water, and we did take it out somewhere. Yep. And luckily, we guess we do still have the boat. Yes. Yeah. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yolo. Yolo. <laughs> Just right. going for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. That's that's some, those are the things we want to avoid going forward is getting in some some structures. You know, people know. Okay, I have to be out of the river by here to avoid any issues. So it, that'd be great. Yeah, that's yeah. some stuff to look forward to. So. Yeah, but I give you guys credit because there's not. I don't know of a lot of people who have floated that stretch of the river. So that's pretty cool. It kind of felt like Lewis and Clark for a little while. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. A little so bit. you start. So you start hearing the waterfalls <laughs> in the waterfalls, dark. Waterfalls in the dark. And, yeah. you know, but unlike Lewis and Clark, uh, we could illuminate the way with a headlamp. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Uh, that's good stuff. Well, hey, Travis, we appreciate your time. We have learned a lot here. Um, and uh, we appreciate all the work that you do in the state uh, enables us uh, and the visitors alike, you know, to enjoy the outdoors. So thanks so much, you know, for, for joining us. And Ben, do you have anything for Travis before we go? Just, just another thank you. Keep it up. And, um, I love that you spend so much time outside. It's, you know, the smells, the sounds, the feel, it's just, you're, you're alive out there. I just love that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. There's, something about it that I don't think I'll ever not like. So, and I, and I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on and it's been fun. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Again, well, thanks Travis again for joining us and until next time, tight lines. Awesome. the song